You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode number four of this podcast, Civil War, Which Side Are You On? As we look at this episode about the Civil War, again, we're not talking about that one that took place in history. We're talking about one that's just as dangerous, just as powerful, just as meaningful. It is the war on civility, and we face it every single day. In this episode, we'll reflect on some of the directions received from studying Jesus and, as I developed in the book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master. And I'm going to summarize some of those lessons in both this episode and in the next one. In the last episode, in episode three, we looked at the fact that uh, there are, are many civility killers, and they are killers. Gossip, slander, and libel are civility killers. It's amazing to me the amount of gossip we find in our world today. And I'm surprised at how much gossip uh, we hear around churches. I know people don't really mean it. They um, maybe don't know better, but uh, the damage is still the same. So basically, it's just a part of our life that shouldn't be such a part of our life. Gossip uh, occurs when someone offends you and instead of uh, going directly to that person, you tell a third party about it, and then it's a burden on them, and now they're a party to gossip. It's just as bad to listen to gossip as it is to gossip. Jesus taught in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, that if someone offends you, you should go directly to that person and deal with it. If you don't like conflict, that means you're normal. As hard as it is to confront another person, an offender, it's the right thing to do, and it's the best thing to do. In the long run, it is actually the easiest thing to do because the conflict ends there. You know, if a person uh, has offended you and they're not receptive, uh, the idea that Jesus teaches is that you should take another person along as a witness. You don't want to prejudice this person uh, that is the witness, so you just take them along. But they should be someone who knows the Bible, loves people, loves God, uh, is a mature Christian. And that witness may help your offender to come to a realization of the offense, or that witness may actually help you see things differently. You never know. But it's all good. Good for the offender, good for you, good for avoiding conflict and pain. Now, the deal with gossip. Gossip is a sin. It disrupts families and it disrupts churches. Uh, it, it can divide whole companies, even countries. And there are plenty of evidences around today to know that that is a fact. 
In episode three, we also looked at slander. Again, slander is when you make false statements to someone that are damaging to a third person's character or reputation. And sadly, this is being demonstrated by Hollywood actors, congressmen and women, uh, leaders of uh, all sorts throughout our nation. And uh, it's just a mess right now. It's not healthy. And so it is uh, all over uh, our world today. You know, late night television shows, talk show hosts, um, I just don't know if many of these people should even be on a public medium like television. In movies, you see some very bad examples of incivility, uh, poor examples for people to see, not role models uh, at all. And then there are many other films that are just outstanding. So we got a mix today, even in classrooms or in homes, and sometimes even in churches, we find misbehavior in this area of slander. And uh, it's just so easy to trip up and find yourself in that kind of a situation. Then there is uh, libel. Libel is when slanderous comments are put into writing. And libel includes handwritten notes, texts, emails, any form of writing. It also includes character assassination using pictures or artwork. You know, in the book, Restoring Civility, I have expanded six lessons that support respectful lifestyles. So in this episode, I want to summarize uh, the first three lessons of the six. In episode five, we'll uh, hit the other three and cover them. Lesson number one is really interesting to me, and that is called the infectious principle. What it means is that civility and respect is infectious. So is disrespect and incivility infectious. Uh, so it's very important to recognize that civility will impact you even as disrespect will impact you. I want to give you three personal examples while I was writing the book, Restoring Civility. As I, as I was writing the book, uh, there was influence on my own experience. And I'm kind of bearing my soul here, but it's a great example, and I don't mind sharing it at all. Uh, I travel a lot, and so I have to go through security at the airport. Now, I played football in high school, and about ten and a half years ago, I had a knee replacement. And that means that I have to go through a little extra security. Well, for me, this is really a pain. I thought, what a disruption. I got all these things in my mind. I got these things to do. I'm on a schedule. I want to make a plane. I uh, want to get there on time. Uh, who needs this hassle? And quite frankly, I was very disrespectful, 
not out loud, but in my own mind and in my heart. And I thought, these people, they're just poking at me. They make me do all this stuff, get stuff out. It's, it's just kind of disruptive to my life. And then I started writing the book on civility. And I thought to myself, I'm really ashamed of this attitude, even though nobody knew about it. You really couldn't tell. The people in security really couldn't tell. I just, uh, you know, put up with it. But I just had a bad attitude. And I thought, how ridiculous is this? These people are trying to keep me safe. They're trying to protect my life. And I got this bad attitude. So, being in the process of writing this book on civility, I decided, what could I do to help me? Just an example. Maybe you can use it for some area of your life. I decided that every security officer that I get near on the pathway through security at the airport, I'm going to tell them, thank you for keeping us safe. And I started this early on when I was writing the book. And, of course, the book has taken a couple of years to develop. But actually, I have a confession to make. Just saying those things to those people changed my attitude. I'm not sure if I totally understand this, but I think this is the infectious principle. I was being civil to these civil servants that were trying to keep me alive and safe. And what it did is it changed my attitude. It changed me inside. I actually look forward to going through airport control. I'm probably the only person in the airport, and it sounds a bit weird, but I like being able to thank those people for what they do. That's one example. I've got another one as well. It isn't so much about me except my response to something in our society, and that is the cop killings. I just can't imagine, no matter how hard I try, how or why anybody would walk up to a policeman and shoot him. And, of course, this has happened many times. We hear about it way too often. And it's troubled me, and it's made me upset, and it makes me mad. I, I, I'm angry at those maniacs that do something to a policeman. And then I thought, you know, that's not a very good attitude. And while I'm writing this book, Restoring Civility, I decided that what am I doing just being angry at the bad people that do this to policemen. So I decided that every policeman I would ever see, I see some at the airports, I see some in restaurants, I see them in different places. In fact, even if one pulled me over because I had a headlight out and didn't know it, I'd do it with them. I'm serious. I would. And that's what I'm doing. And this is what I say. I say, thank you for your service. I'm praying that you stay safe. And you know what's happened? I have had numerous policemen. Now, they're not always able to take time 
to get into a little conversation, even a few words. But honestly, many of these officers say, thank you, I really appreciate that. These people have a right to be nervous about their life, whether it's in jeopardy. And uh, they, need, they, they, they have a right to feel abused by just a few people who give a bad reputation to all people that policemen come in contact with. Well, I'm not going to do that, and I don't have that, and I'm going to be part of the solution. In fact, I'd like to start a movement that everybody that sees a, a policeman, a police officer anywhere, that they go up to him and say, you know, uh, thank you for your service, and uh, please continue uh, to be safe. I'm praying for you to be safe. Then one more example I share with you that this actually happened. It's one of my personal confessions. Uh, I, I write in the book uh, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, I write about obeying the speed limit. Now, I have a little confession to make. There are times in my life where in my busy schedule and appointments and everything, it's easy to get behind, but it's not very professional for a guy like me to be late for an important meeting. All my meetings are important. They're with leaders of leaders, and so uh, you don't want to be late. I have to admit, there are some times that on my speed control, I bumped it up a couple of miles an hour. Not more than that, but just what I thought I could get away with. And then in the book, I was writing about that and how it's disrespectful to the law, but it's also disrespectful to the quality of life other people's lives, and mine. It's disrespectful to God who created us. I got so wired up about this, I decided, you know what? I'm going to become a safer driver. I'm not going to cheat because it's disrespectful. I knew it was against the law, technically, a couple, couple miles an hour faster, but I know people get away with it, but it doesn't matter. And now I go the speed limit, wherever I am. I just set my speed control. Thank God for speed control because it's civil. <laughs> it doesn't cheat. <laughs> I really like that. It works for me. And so uh, I know that I'm a safer driver. And I know that I have respect for other people, people in other cars, people on the side of the road, um, and myself. And so here's my point. And it's happened to me. And it's my confession. And I'm honest about this. If you practice respect, if you can get anybody else to practice respect, I guarantee you, you'll discover it's contagious. It is contagious. And you know what else? You personally will become infectious. It's like the flu, except it's really good, not bad, like the flu. Civility is infectious. You catch it, and it grows over time in you. Then it spills beyond you and touches other people. Now, I don't want to give any idea like I'm perfect. i got a lot of areas of my life I would like to see God help me improve, and I keep asking him to do so. And I'm a work in progress like everybody else. 
But I tell you what, I know that having a an attitude of civility is infectious inside and beyond. You see, God has restoration in mind for you. And that isn't just at death when you go to heaven. It means that you are in a process of restoration your whole life. And you are becoming more like God until you go to be with God. That's the whole idea. So, I want to share something with you. What if you made a terrible, terrible mistake at some time, a terrible, disrespectful mistake at some time in your life? Like, let's say you went to college, and in college you did some things you're really not very proud of. I did. A lot of people did. A lot of people do. I was thinking about this during the hearings that they had for Brett Kavanaugh as a member of the Supreme Court. And I remember when he was being considered, a woman accused him of some sexual misconduct in college. And eventually, it seems as though it was found to be, it was unfounded. And he was able to get into the Supreme Court. But what made me think about it as I looked at him today, as he was there being interviewed for that Supreme Court position, what if it was even true that maybe he did have some sexual misconduct with a woman in college? How does that define him? If you make a mistake back and whenever, is that forever? Does that make you a person that whatever you did in college is going to do that all your life? Does that exclude you from certain positions, certain respect? Is there anything such thing as forgiveness? Is there anything like restoration? And you know, in an uncivil society, you don't think about forgiveness. You don't. Th- where is that in the whole process? Where is restoration in the whole process? How do we judge people of, for something that happened years, decades ago, even if it was true? So here's the question. How does God look at life? You read the Bible, and it's very clear that God does not look at your life as an event. God looks at your life as a process. And if you have grown out of that bad behavior, it says in the Bible that God forgets. I don't know how that's possible because he's God, but it means that he's not going to hold it against you. That means that you should be able to let it go. But most of all, it means that anybody that knows what happened back whenever must let it go because God gives forgiveness. God restores. And so there's a life lesson there, and that's one of the lessons in the book, that civility is contagious, and it's part of a long process, and you are not defined ever 
by an event. Now, another lesson, lesson number two from the book. And that is, it seems strange, but success as society describes it is overrated. Success is overrated. Do you want to do well? Do you want to do great? Do you want to be successful? Yeah, sure. That's all great. It's great to be successful. But it is much more important to be significant. If you line up success next to significance, significance wins every time. It's much better to be significant. You know, we are all wired to produce, reproduce, and achieve. But at the end of the day, God does not call us human doings. We're not human doings. We're human beings. God wants you to be even more than he wants you to do. I want you to think about this in the context of success. Success is related to stuff. If you say somebody's successful, they have achieved this, they've achieved that, they made some money, they got some land, they got a big house, they got a car, whatever whatever it goes with success. It's related a lot to stuff. Significance, though, is related to people. It's the impact you have on other people human beings. Achievements that are considered beneficial to others. That's really significance. Much greater, much, much greater than success. And the issue behind this issue, honestly, it's not all about you. Get over yourself. When you become respectful to others, you become a greater human being, no matter what your human doing is all about. You are a human being. There's nothing greater than contributing to sustainable significance. Just a little story from my life. My wife and I, a number of years ago, were able to purchase a piece of land very cheaply because it was lousy land. God gave us an opportunity, and I had a dream. It was a dream to plant trees. I love trees because they grow even though you're not there. I can plant a tree, and it grows when I'm traveling all over the world helping Christians and churches. It's amazing. So we started out small. I dug the hole. My wife put this little tiny tree in the hole. I covered it up. We went to the next hole. And to make a really long story of decades over uh, really short, uh, we ended up planting 67,000 trees. Now, the deal about these trees is they will not mature and be timber trees is what they are. They won't be for sale for timber in our lifetimes. And we knew that with the first tree we planted. So this is not about success. This is about significance because we had a dream that our children could sell those trees and give money to God's mission 
in whatever direction they choose. And so, since they were in high school, we've been training them and their spouses now, because they're married, to be part of the tree farm. And they're excited because they're Christians and they want to help ministries help people become significant. Now, I know it's a little weird if you're not into planting trees, that's all right. But I tell you, you get into significance and it will light your fire more than any success. Do not settle for success alone. Jesus developed followers and those followers had changed lives and they were changed for eternity. His followers were called to make disciples. That is significance. Becoming a disciple is significance. Think about businesses today. You can focus your business on success, and there are a number of them that do, but there are also a number of businesses today that make good money, but they focus on significance. You know what? That's a cultural thing. And you know what else? It's a spiritual thing. And it makes a difference. God makes a difference in people and in their businesses and in their commitment, not just to success, but in their commitment to significance. Significance is a culture. It has to do with your values, your beliefs, your attitudes, your priorities, and your worldviews. I wrote about that in a previous book not too long ago, came out, called Who Broke My Church? Seven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. You see, that's what significance is all about, and that's what culture is all about. Values, beliefs, attitudes, priorities, and worldviews. That's the framework for consistency in your life. Let's go to lesson number three, humility. The world says arrogance. Become a self-centered person, and it's a self-centered worldview. The world says that's the way to influential power. And you know what? The world is wrong, dead wrong. Your influence to impact for good is much stronger from the position of genuine humility. In the history of this world, Jesus Christ has influenced more people than anyone else by far. You can't put up any leader in all of history that even comes close. Jesus is God in the form of a baby on that first Christmas lying in a stable, a barn shelter for animals. Yeah, that's humility. Jesus is the King of Kings, yet riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, the animal of not arrogance, but plain and simple significance. Jesus is willing to endure the humility of death by crucifixion, a death created for common criminals. And yet, Jesus rises on the third day as the eternal 
ruler of the universe. Yeah, humility leads to greatness. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, really interesting, to a church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 in the Bible, this is uh, the message version of the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes these significant <laughs> words, and I quote, Sometimes we tend to think we know all we need to know, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. Isn't that awesome? 1 Corinthians 8, 1-3. That's the definition of humility. And that's lesson three. We'll continue with the next three lessons in episode five as we continue our podcast on the Civil War and ask the question, what side are you on and what side are you going to be on? starting tomorrow. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.